Love's one of those words we kind of throw around loosely, and I talk about this often, how we've kind of corrupted that word and maybe dumbed it down a little bit by all the things we love. And I truly do love ice cream and a lot of other things, but, but not the way that God loves us. Well, there are some Sundays where the sermon kind of writes itself. It's difficult to improve on the miracle story of Christmas or the wonderful gift of Easter. There are others that take a little tweaking to remind us of God's role in the world, and even if the world doesn't choose to recognize it. For example, the typical Mother's Day and Father's Day message that I share is about God's purposes for these roles. And to do this properly, we have to take a couple things into consideration. Not everyone may be a parent. Not everyone may have a good or comfortable example of a parent. That's just unfortunate but true. So we shouldn't allow our human frailties or or how someone has, has let us down to redefine or, as I say, dumb down what it means to be a good parent or how we understand or relate to God in a parent-child way. I don't want to think that I can't think of God the Father because I'm afraid that someone might have not had a good experience with their father, and so we're going to just stop saying that, that God is a good father. We have an obligation to become better, not bring him down. And I certainly want to pay respect to, to all those people, and, and, and certainly, but... But God has a role for mothers and fathers in our lives. And you remember the, the joyous words of 1 John 3, 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I'm going to probably stop by Walmart on the way out and get the stuff I need to get uh, for tomorrow. Um, and, and that's just how we guys are. But historically, I don't spend a lot of time from the pulpit talking about Valentine's Day or, or some of these holidays like this. But I keep seeing on the television all these ads for jewelry, right? And for flowers and chocolates and, and all the cliche reminders of, of a stereotypical romantic day. You know, or at least as consumers define it. And I realize this can be a tough time for those who aren't in a relationship, but more importantly, it can be a tough time for those who aren't currently experiencing love the way they want to. And that can be whether you're in a relationship or not, or, or in regards to family, or even looking at yourself. So to that point, this date on the calendar may be a bitter reminder of current or past hurts, or, or stir a sense of loneliness or isolation that shouldn't exist because we tend to value ourselves based on ways other than how God values us or loves us. So this morning, we're going to take the Mother's and Father's Day approach to Valentine's Day. So accordingly, we're going to take into consideration a few things. Not everyone may be in a romantic relationship at this moment. Not everyone may be feeling, giving, or receiving love the way that God intends it. But we shouldn't allow our human frailties, where we're letting that down or where someone is letting us down, define or dumb down what it means to love or to be loved or how we understand God as a source and example of real love. We're going to raise our standards to his, not bring him down to the way that, that we are able to understand or do this. So I've titled this message, God is Love. Because we're going to spend time this morning reminding ourselves or or perhaps for the first time learning what love was created to be by the one that expresses it perfectly. We know that the Bible reveals the nature of God. We we tend to think of this only true in the First Testament, right? The beginning of the Bible. But it's truly a complete story. The, The entire book 
is a complete story. And the life of Jesus Christ is recorded in the pages of the New Testament being a living example, the manifestation of this loving nature. As Jesus said himself, he didn't come to replace it, but to fulfill this. He's an example of love. So we're going to turn open our Bibles and begin with John 1, 4, 7 through 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. But if God is love and God existed before all of this, then I think it's safe to say that love existed long before the world did, long before the world existed, and long before we tried to define what love is. We took this thing that existed before we were here, God and God's love, and, and we define it as what we understand love or, or worse, what we're capable of doing by way of love. And, and this is why we need to look to God as a source of truth on what love truly is. And we can think of no greater expression of this than the familiar words of John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world, that's how much, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And if we were to continue on in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, these two simple sentences reveal to us the why and the how of his love. He loved us so much that he did this. And, and he loves us so much that he wants to give us the gift of eternal life. And more importantly, with him. So think about this. Really think about it. The God who created the universe, the most powerful being ever, loves you personally. He loves you. He loves you by name, not just People in general, I love my children, I love the world. He says, I love you, insert your name there. You as a person. He cares about your life and he wants to be a part of it. He is pursuing you so hard that he would sacrifice his one child for the ability to adopt another one, and that's you. Even if you've spent your whole life running from God, if you've done things you regret, and we all have, even sins that you haven't confessed or repented yet, and we all have those as well, he still loves you and wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants to have that relationship with you. One of the key elements of the Romans road was found in Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That doesn't make sense to us, right? We, we keep thinking that that you know, we want to love and do things right, but don't we somewhere kind of harbor this, it's easier to love the lovable? It's easier to love someone who loves you back or hasn't wronged you? You know, there's a powerful scene in the movie Fireproof, and, and if you remember, Caleb was talking to his dad, and this is a whole process, this movie, but he's talking about his dissatisfaction with his wife. And, and of course, his, his father is taking not only a, the perspective of saving the marriage, but trying to reconnect this character, Caleb, to God. And, and Caleb is saying, Dad, you just don't understand. How can I love someone that repeatedly ignores me, that disobeys me, that just doesn't show me any respect? How can I love that? And there's this powerful but silent moment when the dad just leans on the cross and says, you know, he just kind of nods. And Caleb gets it and he goes, that's not what I'm saying, Dad. And he goes, isn't it? Isn't it? He says, you can't love properly because you don't know real love. 
You haven't accepted it from God. You haven't accepted it for yourself. You haven't tried to figure out what this is. You can't love her because you don't have it yourself. That's our challenge. But fortunately, God's love is unconditional, infinite, far beyond what even the best people are capable of. God commands those who follow him to love one another. Among sincere believers whose hearts God has changed, you can see an imperfect picture of his love as he loves us despite us. The Apostle Paul reassures us of this perfect love in Romans 8, 37 through 39, which is our scripture to remember this week that that Larry read. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love how Paul likes to close up the loopholes and that tells me that he's probably one that spent a lot of his life looking for those things. But he, he closes them all up, says nothing, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. And it's the prophet Isaiah in the First Testament. He records God's own words that were spoken to him. And as Isaiah 54, 10, he says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This is just God reminding us of the covenant promise he'd already made in Deuteronomy 7, 9. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love, right? His promise, unbreakable promise of Al, to love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Or Lamentations 3, 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if we look at these, we look at Isaiah and Lamentations and Deuteronomy, even Jeremiah, you know, where he's, where Lord says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, right? And this is a manifestation of prophecy that says, you know, this love covenant, the accordance with this love covenant, I'm gonna have to save you from yourself. And that's gonna come much later through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, these passages were written in a time when God's people were very far away from him relationally, right? The, the Israelites had this habit, this cycle of, we love you, God, you rescued us, great. Oh, you know what? We'll go do our own thing our own way. And then they go, Lord, where are you? We need to be rescued again. And each one of these times, I mean, Isaiah was, was prophesying the, you know, what was gonna happen to the Israelites, they had been ex- exiled from this promised land. Lamentations, they're they are suffering, they're lamenting the loss of the stuff that, that God had, had given them, that had promised them. And they reached out to him because they had broken their part of this, but God never, ever broke his covenant vow. In fact, th- these periods of punishment were a part of his loving nature to express grace and wait patiently. So does this mean that God's love is unconditional? Yes, but not necessarily. We know that we are to love him and love others and keep his commandments. That's, that's his instruction to us. But there's not a condition based on time. In fact, God promises to be patient with us because he wants you to succeed in this. I'll wait 
2 Peter 3, 9 says he's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. It says he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So he'll wait. So the worst thing that we do is, is when we miss these opportunities, these moments is we're robbing ourselves of the joy of these blessings we could be experiencing now instead of later as God patiently waits for us to do the right thing. And there are so many things, even the things we prayed about this morning, that, that we can't understand the miraculous way God works or some of the things that, that he's, pieces he's moving around in his timing. You know, in fact, we're told not to lean on our own understanding. But, but when we say things like, God, how can you love me, a sinner? God, how can I love them? You know, that horrible person that, that I know they are or, or the way they treated me or the way they did this or the way they do that. You know, we, we're trying to get to understand God the way we understand love. And we're trying to box him in saying, God, you, this is the way that we're supposed to love. This is how we love. This is what love is. And you're not doing it right because you still love them even though they're not, you know, being obedient, not treating each other as well. So we can't possibly understand this fully. And, and I think that's why Paul writes this letter to the early Christians in Ephesus. And he says this, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is, right? It's, we don't have that power, but he says, may you have that. May you get some understanding of what this is. And he says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And he says, may you experience it. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Again, this is hard for us to understand. But that doesn't relieve us from the commandment to show others the same kind of love. God's love is perfect and it's a model for us to love perfectly. First Corinthians 13, you know, this love is patient, love is kind. It, it goes through this this dissertation of what love is and a couple things of what love isn't. And everyone needs to know this type of love. But if we expect it from another person, we're gonna be let down. That doesn't relieve us of the responsibility to try to love with patience and kindness and not to envy or boast or to be proud, not to dishonor or to self-seek. But it happens. And it happens when others try to show us that kind of love too. I mean, only God... God is the only one who can love us perfectly. And when you have a relationship with God and you experience this kind of perfect love, it, it empowers you to love others the same way. You want to love others that same way. The verses I were alluding to from 1 Corinthians 13, is a, it's a great description of love. It's been read at almost every wedding I've ever been to. And the Apostle Paul captures many aspects so well, but I really like reading 1 John 4 for another perspective. 1 John 4. And if you look at verse 19, for example, it says, we love because he first loved us. Now we hear that and we might read that to mean a couple different things. It, we don't love him. We don't love him because he loved us first. He loves me, I guess I'll love him back. And that's, that's the faulty kind of human love that we give to other people. I love you because you love me. I love you because you're lovable. You like me, I like you back, right? You go first. That's not what it means. What it means is we can love others truly because of the love that he has given, shown, and demonstrated us. We love outward because he first loved us. He taught us, he showed us, we experience his love. Now we can love 
that way. That's 1 John 4, 19. But let's keep reading because when we stop at the end of a verse like that, sometimes we don't get the full message. So 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Then at 20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. This is from the NIV. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now change that word. Must also love their neighbor, their friend, their enemy, their stranger. This is the commandment. We can do that. We should do that because he loved you first. But here's the good news of this reminder of this passage. You were promised to receive this kind of love. God has made a covenant vow that you will get this kind of love from him. And you have the ability to give this kind of love to others. Again, it's John, 1 John 4, now verse 16. And so we know and rely on this love God has for us. God, again, is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And here's more good news. God loves you as you are. He will meet you wherever you are. And when you turn to him at whatever point that is, and he loves you, you will find him. He will be there. He's pursuing you. He will meet you where you are. He will love you as you are. But he will love you too much to leave you where he found you. I love how, how Paul speaks so much on this topic of love. He writes in the second letter to Corinthians, so the same people that he wrote about this description of love. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Oh, that's an uncomfortable word, but let's see what it means. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. I'll say it again. God loves you just as you are. He also loves you enough to not let you stay where you are. He wants to see you grow and change for the better. Yes, real change is always possible. He sent Jesus to die for the sins so that this would be possible. And when you receive God's forgiveness and accept God's help, you can begin to work towards positive, lasting change. There's such an abundance in this love and so much joy and peace that comes with experiencing that, that we can't help but overflow with it. You know that kind of joy you feel when there's so much happiness goes on that you just, it just ekes out of you. And it's the same way with God's love. Again, 1 John 4, I told you, there's a lot of good stuff in this book. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We call this a commandment to love others, but I think it's the natural byproduct of experiencing good, pure, true love as God created and intended us to experience it. We can't help it. God's love should not stop with him loving you. It should overflow in the lives of the people around you. When you allow God's love to grow in you, it's like the plant that produces fruit. And when we talk about the, the, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits is, of God's love is this increasing desire and ability to love others, right? Oh, I can't help 
but do this, to feel this, to want to do this. And, and his spirit, the spirit that he puts within us allows you to love with a love greater than you could love on your own because you're loving with God's love as God created, as God is, not as the world defines it. So he says, don't keep the love of God to yourself, especially when the world so desperately needs it. You can purchase these videos, and I do from time to time, called the Skit Guys, and I showed one recently. It was the, the chisel, God's chisel. But there's one for Valentine's Day, and it's more of a narration, and I'm not going to show the slide, but, but um, you can buy the transcript as well. And, and it's basically a narration. It says, hey, love, where have you been lately? He says, I've been looking for you. I know you haven't disappeared off the earth, but it sure feels like you've gone on vacation for a while. I mean, across the street, I see strife and sadness and a marriage falling apart. Down that alleyway, he's hungry and cold and lonely. And don't you see her in her car crying at the stoplight? Love, listen to me. I believe in you, I really do. We have a whole holiday dedicated to you. Cards, candy, the whole bit. I, I guess I'm just a little disappointed, that's all. You seem to have gotten lost inside a world that feels so desperate for you. I must find you again because you light up all the rooms. You bind us together and cover a multitude of sins. I love that. But as I'm, I'm reading this transcript, I, I, I'm gonna put God's name in there and hear this. Hey God, where have you been lately? I've been looking for you. I know you haven't disappeared off the earth, but it sure feels like you've gone on vacation for a while. I mean, across the street, I see strife and sadness and a marriage falling apart. Down that alleyway, he's hungry, cold, and lonely. And don't you see her in her car crying at the stoplight? God, listen to me. I believe in you. I really do. We have a whole holiday dedicated to you. Instead of cards and candy, I'll say we have presents and trees, right? And crosses and Easter eggs. The whole bit. I guess I'm just a little disappointed, that's all. You seem to have gotten lost inside a world that feels so desperate for you. Isn't that the truth? I must find you again because you light up all the rooms. You bind us together and covered a multitude of sins. I love that. When you put God is love and God in that space, you can hear the message of what he gives and what we so desperately need. God tells us that when he lives in us, his love is made complete in us, burning like a blazing fire. And driving out fear, it drives out darkness. We know this because when we were the farthest off course and refusing to listen to his voice and cloaked in the darkest of dark, Christ still died for us. And that's historically and that's spiritually in our lives today. So I'm choosing to love God with all my soul, my mind, my strength, just as I'm commanded. I'm crossing that street to my neighbor's house and bringing blankets to the alleyways and praying for those I don't even know. My language will be love because God is love. That's a powerful statement. And if I can offer this benediction from Paul, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And a couple other challenges. Again, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has a born of God and knows God, the one another's. This next week, we're going to talk about who the one another's are and what we're supposed to do for the one another's in our lives. I'm just going to end with this last sentence, and then we're going to, to continue our worship.
John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And that's what we're called to be. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And we're supposed to love the way he does. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, you are love. Long before there was this planet, long before we were on it, long before we were, we were born, our individual lives, you existed and you are love. Far be it from us to, to come into your creation and say, no, no, this is what love is like, should be like, should be settled for this way. No. Lord, we're sorry for what we've made it. We want to pursue the kind of love that you have for us, the kind of love you've shown as an example for us, everything from, from the creation to the covenant vows of love to the wonderful atoning gift of grace and mercy on that cross. Lord, we want to be obedient disciples. We want to feel that love from you. We want to accept it for ourselves and we want to show that to others, not because you told us to, but because we can't help but do it. That's our prayer. That's our challenge. And Lord, we thank you for this gentle reminder. It's in your son's name we pray. It's in your son's name we have this hope. Amen.